I know my wife is probably already concerned because there is another chair up here um, that is with a purpose. It'll be okay. It won't stay there. Um, it, yeah, exactly. Won't be there for long. I, I told, uh, I told my man Brando I was just gonna sit there and watch him play guitar during worship. Um, he wasn't as fond of that idea as I was apparently. Um, but uh, tonight, I, I want to start. I wanna, I'm gonna ask him to put it up real quick. Proverbs three five, because this is where we're gonna start as we get into the word tonight. Proverbs three five says this: Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. This is the basis of which we're going to have this entire conversation about this. We need to trust the Lord. All right. And we're going to, I'm going to talk about this, this concept of trusting God and uh, this whole idea of in God we trust. Right. You know, I, uh, I know that the concept of trusting God isn't some novel, crazy idea. Right. Um, you know, like I, I imagine this headline of pastor says we should trust God and the people were immediately transformed and everyone trusted God, right? Um, that would be really cool if it was that easy. Um, trust, whether we like it or not, is a process. Trust doesn't just naturally happen. We don't just immediately give trust. There are so many things that we are doing as individuals every time we meet someone or encounter someone that we're determining, can I trust this person, Right? We do it every single day. Um, I was in uh, Arizona the last couple of days, okay? And there are a lot of different experiences surrounding trust that sometimes I'm thinking, why am I doing this, okay? So um, little little stories begin to this. Uh, so I completely missed my flight to Arizona, okay? Completely. I've never missed a flight in my life, okay? I'm a guy that's like two hours plus early to, to a flight because I, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy running. I don't want to be any of that, okay? And so I left super early, like I always do, for a flight. Um, and I get on 275, and I'm just cruising along, right? No problem. And then all of a sudden, everything stops. Like, I'm not I – can't, I can't even go five miles per hour. Like, it's, my, it's not even – it still looks like I'm going backwards, technically, on my speedometer, Okay. And um, I'm like, what's going on? So I'm, I'm talking to my mom when this all happens. And no, Jimmy, I wasn't rolling. It didn't stop running. The Ford was fine. Um, <laughs> could see it in your eyes, Jimmy. I knew, I knew you were going to try to use that against me. So I, I'm literally trying to get there, right? I'm doing everything in my power. And then there's just, there was like a five-car pileup right on the bridge into Kentucky. And, it, I mean, it was just shut down. And uh, there was a Chevy that lost control. Um, I, I just, I don't know if it was a Chevy. I really wish I would have looked closely. But I was trying to keep that thing on the road. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so completely missed my flight, right? And so I'm, I'm literally on in route, and I'm on the phone with my assistant at work, and I'm like, you've got to find me another flight, because I've got to get to Phoenix today, and, and so she's hunting, and she's finding flights and all this, okay, so she, she, she does an amazing job, gets me a flight to Phoenix just an hour later, it's fantastic, and so I jump on the flight, and uh, I, I go to Minneapolis, and I go to Phoenix, all good, right, so I get to Phoenix, and I land in Phoenix, and as soon as I get to Phoenix, the first thing I do is I call, I use my Lyft app, right, so I use Lyft, that's how I, I usually get around when I'm in a city I don't know, is I just call a Lyft driver, and they come pick me up and take me to the hotel. I'm, I'm literally five minutes from my hotel, 
I'm literally that close to the hotel. It's not far at all, okay? So I get there, and I call my Lyft driver, and it says, hey, she's going to be there in five minutes. I'm like, sweet. This will be great. It took her over 45 minutes to find me. <laughs> and um, she called me, and she was literally crying when she calls me uh, to tell me that she's never drove to the airport. She's trying to figure it out. And all of a sudden, I started thinking, I'm going to trust this lady to drive me to the hotel. And I, and I thought about canceling the ride, but I was like, man, this poor lady, she, just, she needs she, – I don't want to just cancel on her because she's going to be down and out. And, and uh, she apologized the whole way there when she finally got to me, and it was all good, and it was all fine and all these things. Um, and then even on my way back, um, I, draw, I jump in another lift, and it was in a Chevy Malibu. I swear I felt like it was a 1993 purple Chevy Malibu that I was like, this is not looking like the safest vehicle to go. And it was a 41-minute drive to the airport I was flying out of. And so I was like, I don't know if this is the best idea I've ever had. And uh, very broken English, and I literally jump into this thing. I mean, it's, it's literally he's got the seat covers, like the big baggy. Like, I mean, it just doesn't look right. I put my bag in the trunk, and there's no bottom of the trunk. He's just got bath towels laid in it. And so I'm like, what am I doing here? And uh, it was, it was, it was trust, right? It was all this whole, it was a gamble, right? I didn't know what I was going to do. And so, um, so, you know, I, all week long, I had been thinking about trust before I even got to the first missed flight, right? And whether we like it or not, trust is a process. And see, in church, what we do is we expect someone to meet Jesus and immediately put all their trust, all their faithfulness, all decisions in the hands of God. To never mess up, to never make a mistake, right? To never say or do the wrong thing. And the problem with that ideology is we allow the missteps of others in the faith to impact our trust in God. We, when, when, see, when your trust in God is influenced by the lack of faith of someone else or the obedient, lack of obedience of someone else, your trust wasn't in God. And so we have to, as a people, we have to get ourselves in a position where we truly are trusting God. Not trusting Tom, not trusting Bethany, not trusting Brian, not, tr- not trusting an individual, but trusting God. Leaning into him to understand whatever that it is that God has for you, okay? So I know it's, it's, not, an, it's not a novel idea. It's not an earth-shattering thing, but this is necessary. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Um, we're going to start uh, reading a couple verses, and we're going to read, um, we're going to continue to read through this passage a little, a little ways here. Uh, but I want, I want us to look at a, an example of trusting God. The type of trust that is necessary and some of the things that I really feel like God was um, calling out to me about as I continue to read this. And so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 8. We're going to read verses 5 through 7 here. It says, when he had entered um, Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. So this is, this is Jesus, right? Jesus is walking. And this centurion soldier comes to him and explains to him that he's got this servant who is paralyzed and is in some horrific pain, right? And when I look at this, Jesus' response was to him was so simple. All right, I'll come heal him, right? 
There wasn't there wasn't a big dialogue here. There wasn't a big big shindig. The guy didn't have to prove to God that he loved him and all these different things. Jesus's response was very simple to him. It was, "I will come and heal him." And so when I read this, I felt I felt uh, impressed to to ask you this. Answer this question: What did Jesus ask about the servant before he extended healing? What did he ask about the servant? What did he want to know about that servant? What experiences was he concerned about that that, that that servant may have had? Was he concerned about why that servant was paralyzed? Was he concerned about why the centurion was so... No. Jesus simply said, I will come and heal him. And, and I began thinking about this because I think about the pool of Bethesda. And, and we've heard it preached and we've heard it taught, right? And, and I've probably even said it at one point in my life, that um, when you think about the pool of Bethesda, there was a man that was laying at the pool of Bethesda, and he said, hey, I had no one to come in and take me into the pool every time that the pool was stirred. So he could never go forward and get his healing. And so Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? And he says, yes, okay? Jesus, if that, and, and, and I've heard it preached that um, you have to want your healing to get your healing. You have to want to be healed, okay? And what I will tell you is that that's a, very, that's a flawed ideology because, first off, there are a lot of people who want to be healed that have not received healing yet, okay? And it doesn't feel very good to them to say, well, you just need to want it, right? It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't stick. And what we've done is we've taken this conversation that Jesus had at the pool of Bethesda, and we've now said people, right, who want healing, they need to want it. But Jesus in this situation didn't say to the centurion soldier, hey, um, does, does he want to be healed? He didn't ask him that question. He didn't ask about why he was in pain. He didn't ask anything like that. All he said was, I will come and heal him. And when I read that, I began to think that we have preached pieces of passage that have created a perception of God that isn't reflective of his nature at all. And it's easy because we can look at these little sound bites and we can say that sounds good and that feels good and it feels right, but it's not the nature of God. Because when we look at Jesus here, Jesus says, I will come and heal him. He doesn't say, what has he done for me? He doesn't say, does he want it? He didn't say anything. He took this moment, okay? And we can, you know, it, it's, it's funny because we hear these things and, and, I've, and I've said it even in, in myself here. You and I, we need to understand the word for ourselves. Because this is the only way that we, we overcome these moments where we, we grasp onto something that actually isn't the entire nature of who God is, right? We can't, we can't listen to one soundbite and think that that is actually who he is, and now we say, well, they just don't want healing, right? We withhold grace, right? We withhold healing. We withhold love, forgiveness, because we say they don't want it. They can't have it. We expect people to do something in return for that forgiveness that we need to give them, for that grace that we need to give them, right? And we claim to, to, you know, to experience change, they have to want it. But in this story, the only thing that needed to happen for healing to take place is the centurion had to take it to the healer. He had to take it to the healer. And this isn't, I know, I know this is a story about healing. This is about everything, though, right? We talk about issues. We talk about issues of lack, right, of, of feelings of being insufficient to do something, right? 
we have access to the throne of God. And when I read this, what I really capture from that whole concept of Jesus saying something as simple as I will come and heal him is God is willing. We have to begin to understand that when we trust in the Lord, right, he is willing to do so many things on our behalf that we don't even know or understand many times of the day, right? So that person who you're, you know, this close to giving up on because they're not trying, God is willing, right? God is willing to work on them on your behalf. For that struggle that you keep running into, God is willing. Don't get frustrated. Don't lose faith because God is willing. And we need to start, we need to start seeing him as he is here in Matthew 8 where he says, I will come and heal him. No preconceived, no prerequisite, no, no nothing that had to take place for that to, take, for that to happen. Let's read on uh, verses 8 through 9 here. It says this. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. This centurion, what, when I read this, what he had is he had reverence for who Christ was, right? He understood his place in the story, stating even that he knew that he wasn't worthy for Jesus to come and be in his home. And I'll tell you, uh, when you, when you really consider what reverence does, right, when we are, when we are being reverent towards God, reverence abolishes preference. See, reverence abolishes preference because think about this. Wouldn't, if you were the centurion soldier, wouldn't you prefer that Jesus did come to heal the servant, right? Wouldn't you have a preference that I would prefer that Jesus actually did show up? Because what if I walk all the way back and he's not healed? Then do I come back and ask him again, right? From a preference standpoint, it would feel right to say, Jesus, yeah, you know what? Actually, why don't you come with me? Why, why don't you actually come be a part of this? Why don't you actually come and join me so that we can actually make sure that this servant gets healed, right? That's what would seem to make sense, right? But reverence abolishes preference because what, what he knows is that the centurion, he knew that this was the Christ. See, he knew that. And so all of a sudden, what our preferences would be get thrown out the window because we begin to revere who God is. It becomes about more than what I want, right? The way I want it to look, the plan that I want to have. And it becomes about this is the Christ. And I just want to trust whatever, whatever he can do, whatever he wants in this situation. When we get before God and we enter into his presence and we are on our face, it's never about us. See, for the centurion, when he got to that moment, it wasn't about him anymore. It was about the opportunity to have this experience that would heal his, his servant. And it was about the fact that it was the Christ that he was speaking to that would allow that to take place. Reverence allows us to place our will, our plans, our motivations into his hands because it causes us to recognize that he is the Christ. 
So we have this lack of reverence that happens too often, right? And because we want to tell Jesus this is how it should happen. This is the way it should work. This is the way it should feel. This is all these different things, right? And I think um, as I began thinking about, you know, we, we just, it seems that in church so often we don't get reverence anymore. And I think it's because we don't get holiness anymore. We don't understand holiness like we did. Like, I, I think, and I think we don't understand holiness because what we've done in the church is we've traded legalism for lawlessness, We've traded legalism for lawlessness, right? Back, back, the church has had this reputation of being so legalistic, right? Worried about your clothing, worried about your hair, worried about going and watching something at the picture show, right? And the church got so caught up in these things that all of a sudden the church got to a point where we're like, we're losing people because we're, we're standing firm on things that aren't necessarily biblically based, Right? Now, luckily, I don't have to worry, like uh, Brian and I, when we traveled and played music, there was actually a church we went to uh, go play at that they actually wanted to see a picture of everyone in the group. And uh, when they looked at our picture, the reason they were looking at our picture is they wanted to make sure that none of us had too long of hair. Now, you can see they weren't concerned about me, okay? <laughs> now, I wasn't bald then, but... They, they wanted to make sure that our hair wasn't too long. And actually what happened is they actually pointed at one of the people in the group and they were like, his hair actually looks a little long. How long is his hair? This was a real conversation before we could go play music at a church that was asking us to come play music for them. We were like, wait a minute, what? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't have that much hair, like, right? Like, and what happened is the church became so guilty that, that now what's happened is we've overcorrected the bus to such a degree that it is not safe. Right? With the, I, I, imagine, I imagine it like this. There's a, a gentleman that um, uh, I grew up uh, right down the road here, right? He was like a, a, a third grandfather to me. And uh, when, when I was first starting to drive, he would talk to me about driving. And he, I can remember him specifically talking to me about overcorrecting, right? If your wheel gets over one side, don't jerk the wheel to try to get back, okay? I believe that is exactly what the church has done. See, the church... Being so legalistic at some point, right, that the people were running away, what's, what's happened is we've grabbed the wheel of the bus and we've completely yanked it the total opposite way. And we're driving through the forest full speed, guys. <laughs> and that's because what we've done is we've forsaken holiness because we want everything to be so okay that it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter about anything else. And we've lost reverence in that process. Because you can't be reverent towards the things of God by not doing the things of God. You can't do it. And we want to talk about putting our trust in God, right? Our trust in God and everything that we do, but we hold on to some things that we just can't let go of. And see, what legalism has always said is that nothing is good enough, right? But now lawlessness is saying everything's good enough. It doesn't matter. But that's not what the word of God says. But the centurion, see, he had reverence. He knew and he knew that it wasn't about Jesus' presence. It wasn't about him having, having him in the room. It wasn't about any of that. It was about the power of God. It was about knowing and trusting that he would do it. And I began thinking about this, and this is where my, my beautiful chair comes in here, okay? Um, so this chair actually has a great history. I've probably told some of you this story um, 
this is uh, for for the record this is a massive chair um and it's funny because i don't ever recognize how big it is until i actually stand behind it and i feel like a little kid back here um because it is a this is a huge chair um but I, I have a story about this chair okay um this chair um i actually found this chair when i was a youth pastor okay um i was at a church and i was setting up my office and uh, actually i wasn't setting up my i, I kind of had my office already but um we were working in an old what we called the old pavilion okay and uh it was nasty Okay, when I tell you it was nasty, I mean like raccoons lived in there um, and they they were everywhere. Okay, it was disgusting. No one ever wanted to go in there. And so I took it on as my challenge, like I'm going to clean that up because I, I, we need that space, right? We need to be able to store stuff or whatever. And while I'm in there hunting, I find this big beast. And I was like, that is the coolest chair ever. Now, you guys know me. I like old um, weird things, I guess, maybe. Um, and so... I get this chair and I clean it up because it was disgusting. Um, maybe I didn't clean the bottom off good enough before I showed it to you tonight. But um, I clean this chair up and I bring it in and I put it at my desk at, in the church. And I'm like, that chair is amazing. Okay. Now, come to find out uh, years later, I found out that the pastor that I was serving under apparently hated that I used this chair. He really hated it. And he said quite a few choice words about the fact that I had this chair in the church. I didn't know that. Um, but the way I found out was um, years later, right, um, we're planning this church. And the pastor who's now in that church said, hey, I heard you love this chair. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's still there. Are you kidding me? And he said, well, this is a housewarming present for you. We had just gotten the keys to the church. He's like, because you're going to need a chair in your office. And so that's why this beast is still here. And Bethany tells me every time she sees it in there, she's like, that is too big for your desk. But I don't care because I love this big beast. But what's interesting about this chair is, um, and I know I'm talking a lot about this chair, but um, when I sit in it, I don't, I don't look around and check it, right? I don't look down to make sure all the wheels are aligned. I don't make sure that none of the braces underneath have broken. I don't do anything. I sit in this chair because I trust it. It's as simple as that, right? We want to, compl we want to make the things of God as simple as trust so complex but most of you, when you go to sit in a chair, you don't flip it upside down to look at everything that it's doing. You don't look to make sure that every brace is aligned. You don't do any of those things. But with God, we do every single one of those things. With God, before we ever walk out and do something with him, we want to make sure that everything is perfect. We want to make sure that everything is aligned. We want to make sure that everything is going to be just the way that I expected it to be. And if it's not, we choose not to sit in that seat. That's what we do with God. We need to get to a place that we just start to trust him, right? Trust him just like we do a chair. It's simple. It isn't complex. It's literally just walking in and sitting down. Now, most of you maybe weren't here. Um, I know Brandon was here. Um, I don't know if Brian, Brian, were you here when we actually moved the pews in? It was heavy lifting, so you probably weren't here. Um, so, <laughs> so, Brandon, Brandon was here um, when we got these pews, um, and I can tell you that these pews are extremely heavy. <laughs> it literally took like three to four guys to move one pew. That's how heavy these things are. They are incredibly heavy, okay? Um, 
But not a single one of you really check to make sure that it's safe before you sit down, right? And let me give you a little cautionary tale that most of you don't know. That third pew right there, the arm on it, wasn't connected for like the first year of the church. We prayed a lot about that pew. <laughs> Kevin just fixed it for me like two weeks ago. I was like, Kevin, bro, you got to help me out, man. This thing's going to fall on someone. He fixed it before Easter. But we don't do that. But with God, we want to look at every single thing. And can I tell you something? We're not trusting him when we're instructing him. See, when we're telling God how we want it to look, how we want it to be, how we want it to feel, how everything that we want, right, we're not trusting him because we are constantly trying to tell God this is how it has to work. And that's not trust. Trust isn't like that, right? Trust is sitting down in the chair and knowing that it's going to be there. Let's finish reading verses 10 through 13 here. It says this, When Jesus heard this, he marveled, And said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness in the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you. As you have believed in the servant was healed at that very moment. See, Jesus sees and recognizes that no one at that point had had faith like the centurion did. And here's what's amazing. The centurion, he hadn't been influenced by church culture. He hadn't gone through the 10-step program to learn everything about being a good Christian, right? He wasn't a member of any church. (laughs) He didn't participate in any small group, right? The centurion hadn't been influenced or challenged by the church culture to say, this is what Jesus can do. This is what it looks like. This is what it feels like, right? Today, what we do with God is we put him in a box. We put him in a box. We create confines to say, this is how God does things. And if it's not following this process, you won't experience him or it's not God. I told Beth, because uh, we, we, we've talked about this often, is that where I've gotten in my walk with him is I am not going to question someone else's experience with God because it's not my experience with God. Are they shouting like crazy? Awesome. Are they being quiet and sitting in their seat? Awesome. Because their experience with God is between them and God. My experience with God is between me and God. And see, Jesus, like today we put him in this box, right? We judge churches, we judge leaders, we question their experience or what they're doing. And we claim that if it doesn't look the way that we think it should look, then God's not moving. But that's not true. See, God is so, he is so much, so much bigger than we could imagine. And what the centurion suggested in this moment was something that looked very different, probably even more different than anything Jesus had experienced at that point. See, because up until that point, Jesus had went and done healings. He had been present. And all of a sudden, here came the centurion that questioned everything else that everyone else had said and said, you don't even need to come because I know who you are. And Jesus looked at his most, his most faithful followers and told them, no one in Israel has had faith like this. And I say that to say this. Your next experience may not look anything 
like what you're expecting. It may not look anything like what everyone is telling you that it should look like. But when you choose to trust in God, no matter what the outcome, he will respond because Jesus responds. He responds. And he responds in trust. When we relinquish our control, our opinions, our ways, and we just say, you know what, God, it's messed up right now. It's messed up. It doesn't feel right. It's not the way I envisioned it. This isn't where I think I should be right now. I expected all of these other things to be taking place. And when we, when we just cast that aside and say, you know what, I trust you. I trust you in the good. I trust you in the bad. I trust you when it feels right, and I trust you when it doesn't feel right. I trust you. We stop analyzing every single thing, and we trust God. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we get ready to close. I, I think when I think about this whole concept of the chair, right, and I think about how we just, we just sit, right? There's no pressure. There's no, um, there's no big, big process, right, that takes place. We just sit. We just, we just allow ourselves to go into that spot. It's just like that with Jesus. We just need to trust, right? We don't need to make it complex. We don't need to make it a big deal. You know, I, I've told many of you that I am not a pastor that's going to be able to show up every time that you stub your toe, right? And part of why I, I believe that and I say that is because you have to have that relationship with Jesus, right? It's not, it's not good enough for a pastor and to become dependent on a pastor or a person to always be there and to always do that for you. Because guess what? You have the exact same access to him that I do. We are no different in that space, right? No different. Not a single difference. But we have to trust him. We have to get to the point where we just trust God. So tonight, I'm going to ask you to do something with me. There, there are some things that I believe that we need to trust God with, right? Some things that we need to put in his hands. Some things that maybe we've been grabbing a hold of, that we've been holding on to, that aren't ours to keep, right? Some things that we were supposed to relinquish to him a long time ago and just let him move. I believe that there are people in our lives that we know who need healing right now. And I'm telling you, you, you read what the centurion did. What did he do? He went to Jesus on their behalf. And so I believe that there are some of you that need to go to Jesus on behalf of someone else, right? I believe that there are people who need deliverance. There are people in your families and in your life who need salvation. There are people who need so many things. And what we need to do is we need to trust God. No more questioning. We just need to put full trust and faith in him. And I know this is like beginner level 101 stuff, guys. <laughs> but I will tell you that if you look at our lives, oftentimes we're missing this simple stuff of just trusting him. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, just trust him.